Nightmare Town. Hello, neighbors, and welcome back to Nightmare Town. We are Betty Boom. And I'm Mandemonium. And, okay, top of the order, let's talk some business. Business. Uh, oh, we have our super awesome Bigfoot enamel pins are in. Yes, very excited about those. They will be up on the website once Theo figures out how to do that because he's an amazing human being and he's been working on it. But, um, yeah, we have I have a couple of pictures, so I'll be posting them on the Instagram and the Facebook. Yeah. And yeah. then, let's see, any other business? Um, oh, D&D episode did not come out when it was supposed to, but that's because we are humans and shit happened. And I realized that we said this in the D&D episode that we recorded. <laughs> but it won't be coming out till next week. But, yeah, it'll be coming out. Yeah, and so, I'm pretty excited about it. I haven't even started editing it, but I know this is already going to be a three-parter. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I'm excited about it, and I like it, and I love how y'all's brains work. Because <laughs> I just didn't see it coming. Never saw it coming. Nope. Alright, and before we jump into the episode, we'd also like to give a shout out to our top fan this week, which is Minnie, my little sister Katie. I'll use her first name since she's on the Faces book. But yes, thank you for being our top fan, sis. <laughs> I know I have a little Minnie Monium who has guests on the on the podcast. She's always liking our stuff on the Faces book on. Instagram and Twitter, so thanks, Minnie. Yay! I still think she's 12. I know she's not 12, but I still think she's 12. <laughs> Definitely not 12. <laughs> but I like to pretend she's 12 as well. Bella is currently freaking out because Theo is getting ready to go on a trip, and I can say that because by the time this comes out, he'll be back, and if he's not, you guys don't know what day we recorded this on. Yeah. So, but yeah, she's freaking out because she can hear his doors closing. And <laughs> she's just like, I don't know what's going on. All right. So, Amanda, would you like to tell everyone what our episode is? Uh, yes, our episode is going to be Casket Show, sent in by Lonnie. Is that correct? Yep, yep. Okay. Just making sure. And I believe you are starting. Yeah. Um, I've got two things to talk about. One of them is just a very short little snippet I read in an article, and I thought it was interesting. And then the next one will be my story. So, when I read Casket Show, the first thing that came to mind for me was being buried alive. I don't know why, but that's what it made me think of. So that's what I went with. My topic will be people who are buried alive. Come back. No. Question. Yes. Do you talk about Edgar Allan Poe? No, I do not. So fun fact, Edgar Allan Poe was terrified of being buried alive. 
and um, so much so that he actually had a bell installed that connected, like it went underground through a tube and it connected to his little pinky. <laughs> so if he were buried alive and he woke up, he would be able to ring it and someone would be able to come over and get him out. Fine. Which was actually very common for the time. Fun facts. I love fun facts. There you are. Okay. I accidentally stuck you on an alternative desktop and I was having trouble pulling you back because my oh, no. computer is finicky, but you're back. Hi. So I can see you. Okay. So my first little story I found is about a lady named Essie Dunbar. She, well, she wasn't born in 1915. It says in 1915, uh, a 30-year-old South Carolinian named Essie Dunbar suffered a fatal attack of epilepsy, or so everyone thought. After declaring her dead, doctors placed Dunbar's body in a coffin and scheduled her funeral for the next day so that her sister, who lived out of town, would still be able to pay respects. But Dunbar's sister didn't travel fast enough. She arrived only to see the last clods of dirt thrown atop the grave. This didn't sit well with Dunbar's sister, who wanted to see Essie one last time. She ordered that the body be removed. When the coffin lid was opened, Essie sat up and smiled at uh, everyone around her. She lived for another 47 years. Oh, God. Yeah. And so. two, I feel like this lady would have been fun to be friends with if her reaction to being buried alive and waking up in a coffin was just sitting up and smiling. <laughs> Though okay. she may have also been experiencing some shock, but... Like, Probably. she just sounded chill. Just like, oh yeah, I'm back. <laughs> Glad you ordered me to be, like, uncovered. <laughs> Which is just crazy. So, my big story for the night, uh, again, when I thought of Casket Show, it made me think of being buried alive, which made me think of the late, great Harry Houdini, whom... I don't know if the show knows this, but I used to be, like, super, super duper into magic <laughs> and all things mystical. And so I just thought about Harry Houdini's story, his stunt he did of being buried alive, but not talking about his story. Because his is not as interesting, because we all know that story, at least I would think most would. So, yes, a brief uh, synopsis on the Houdini thing for people that don't know. Uh, one of his most popular stunts he did, he was more of a stunt guy than an illusionist, but, you know, uh, was that he was, I believe, handcuffed and in a straitjacket and also placed into a coffin where he was buried. Um, I can't remember if he was buried the full six feet deep or not, but uh, he... Uh, the stunt he did was to escape from all of that in a certain amount of time. Uh, you can look it up. It's one of his bigger, bigger tricks. Um, but anyway, so he inspired a lot of other magicians and illusionists and what have you to attempt this as well. Uh, with many of them being successful, like um, Chris Angel is one I'll throw out because I just know that he's done it because I was a stan back in the day. 
say you were a big, uh, big Chris Angel fan, weren't you? Oh I think God. You've said that oh God. You've yes. In past. I probably have. I'm sure that that and King of the Hill. That's just that's my identity. It's who I am. <laughs> Those are my two things. <laughs> so conflicting. <laughs> it is a very conflicting thing. <laughs> but uh anyway so he inspired a lot of other magicians to attempt this stunt um and the story i'm going to be reading about today is one of those people so this was in 1990 uh this article i'm reading is from the la times actually uh their archives it was from november 1st uh this took place in fresno california a magician who compared himself to the legendary harry houdini and had himself buried inside a plastic and glass coffin for a halloween night escape trick was killed when the coffin collapsed under tons of dirt and wet cement joseph burris 32 a recovering drug addict was performing the stunt at a local amusement park Blackbeard's Family Fun Center, when the coffin unexpectedly collapsed. As trick-or-treaters watched in shock, rescuers frantically dug Burris out but were unable to reach him in time. I consider myself a master of illusion and an escape artist, Burris said before the stunt. I believe I'm the next Houdini and greater. Harry Houdini, considered the master of escape artist, died on Halloween night in 1926. Burris had done the escape from the buried casket stunt successfully a year ago in Oregon, using only dirt over the coffin. Wednesday night, he was wearing a white tuxedo. Burris was handcuffed, wrapped in chains, locked inside the see-through coffin, and then lowered into a seven-foot deep hole. Crews started pouring wet cement into the hole from the cement truck until Burris knocked on the... I lost my spot. Crews started pouring wet cement into the hole from a cement truck until Burris started knocking on the casket lid, asking them to stop. He said the chain was too tight around his neck and was choking him, said Sean Henderson, a resident of the third floor drug recovery clinic. Burris was staging the stunt as a benefit for the clinic. We gave him time to slip the chain from his neck. After he got that done, he wanted the locks back on and asked us to start burying him again. Henderson said the crews put another three feet of dirt into the hole and then began covering that with three feet of cement. As soon as we finished and the truck pulled away, the whole thing dropped, Henderson said. The cement busted the coffin. It buried him alive. Witnesses said they could hear the plastic and glass of the coffin shatter from the estimated nine tons of cement and dirt. The crews worked frantically to exhume the casket, but efforts to revive Burris were unsuccessful. And I believe when, um, another fun fact, when Chris Angel attempted this, he was doing it as an homage to Harry Houdini, but he was kind of recreating what Burris here failed to do. He had a see-through casket and had dirt and cement poured over him, but he had, like a means to get oxygen into his casket as like the network was like you have to (laughs) like we can't air this if you die so uh yeah anyway yeah not as um 
good of an ending as our lady from the first story who just got unburied in time and just sat up and was like, hey, I'm here for another 47 years. Uh, No, his story did not end well, unfortunately. But that's just the thing that came to mind when reading that um, drawing from my not hat (laughs) was uh, being buried alive. Okay. Uh, Okay, well then I guess we're just going to go ahead and take a break and you know what? Please listen to this sponsor. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to our sponsor. Back to Amanda. All right. And I just want to throw out real quick. Um, I, the first story I was reading from was a mental floss article, uh, which we can, you know, leave links for as usual, because that one actually was a list that had more stories on it. That was just the most interesting one to me to read about because she just like straight up was just sitting up. It's like, no, not my time. Uh, and the article I just read from was an archive from the LA Times from back in 1990 when it occurred. Nice. I love me some archive newspaper articles. But anyway, I'm interested to hear what you're going to talk about because you told me that you were having trouble picking between a couple. I almost so, think you could tell them both, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could. I did do the research for both. I think I'll do what you did, and I'll do a brief synopsis of the one that I didn't do, because I was polling my friends of which which one I should do. Uh. <laughs> um, so yeah, you did not. You were not the only person to get that message. That's why I was like, okay, now it's tied. That sucks it tied. <laughs> didn't help you. So the one that lost was about Elber McCurry. McCurdy. Um, he was an outlaw during the Wild West days, but he was not a very good one, and he had a very unremarkable life. But the thing that made him remarkable was what happened to him after death. So McCurdy, he was killed during a shootout with um, like a sheriff's posse, and he was sent to the local coroner which at the time they had just started doing um, embalming. And this this coroner, he had some really good shit, apparently. Mm. So he embalmed McCurdy and then got pissed off that there was nobody there to claim the body and to pay him for it. So he took McCurdy's body and he put it on display. Oh. And so he would charge people to come see him, um, and they would pay for it by putting pennies in his mouth. Oh my gosh. I don't gosh. know how you're supposed to get the money from that. But this went on for years, and apparently, like, the coroner, he just had McCurdy around, and, like, there was reports of um, this guy's kids putting roller skates on him and, and like, pushing him around. Like, That's weekend insane. At Bernie's. I was about to say, like, Weekend at Bernie's, but, like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Straight up Weekend at Bernie's. Just but, like, real, skates. so it's creepy. Yeah. And then, um... So this goes on for a while. People are coming from all over the place to see this body. And um, then two guys show up claiming that they're McCurdy's brothers and they're bereaved and all this other stuff. So, of course, they pay the guy for in, you know, embalming their, their brother and they take him. Well, they were actually carnies. And oh. they wanted to use McCurdy as a sideshow. A literal... Okay, this is like the most perfect story 
for an episode ever. <laughs> I feel like it just fits so well. They were both so fascinating. And so they kept the tradition of people putting stuff in his mouth. So now they would put like their ticket stubs in his mouth. Oh, whoa. So this goes on for a long time. Eventually, like the circus that he was traveling with, I don't know what happened to it. Um, but he eventually winds up at a place called Laugh in the Dark Amusement Park. And it's in California. Like, this started in Oklahoma. Huh. Now he's in California. But the people there don't realize it's a real body. Oh. They think it's a wax, like a wax figure. So at one point, they, like, drilled a hole through his neck to put a, a, a noose through it and was just using him as a prop. Whoa. That was until 1977 when the te- the television show Million Dollar Man was there to record an episode, um, something about, like, spies. It was some some episode, something spies. I think it was spies at the carnival. But, um, or something, I don't remember. <laughs> so they see this wax figure, and they're like, oh my gosh, this looks so awesome. Let's move it to the front and use it as a prop for the show. So they do. And then while they're moving it, one guy accidentally knocks the arm off of it. And he was like, oh, no, the wax figure lost lost his arm. And he picked it up. And whenever he did, they could see human muscle tissue and a bone sticking out of it. Oh, no. (laughs) So they're like, oh, shit, this is a real person. So they call the ambulance and they tell them that they have a case of severe dehydration. Oh, my God. And so the EMTs get there thinking that, you know, there's someone that's passed out from just not drinking water, and they see a mummified body. Full of pennies and ticket stubs. Oh, yeah. Well, like, they didn't know this part yet, and they thought it was funny because they're like, oh, ha, 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 because obviously this has happened decades ago. Yeah. So they take him to the coroner. They do an autopsy. That's where they find a ticket stub in his mouth and a penny from 1924. Oh, wow. So I think maybe it might have been later than that. I don't know. I'm on my second glass of wine. (laughs) It's been a week. But uh, so, yeah. And that's I mean, by this point, he didn't look like he did when he was first embalmed, obviously. Like he looked like a mummified body yeah which there will be pictures on the the instagram but um yeah so that's the remarkable afterlife of elmer mccurdy wow that's wow (laughs) and that's what i can remember from the top of my noggin well you did a good job remembering all of those details (laughs) i love details i love stories now for my official story I'm not going to tell you the title of it. I'm just going to start reading what I wrote because I did write a lot. Um, But I got my information from the Dollop podcast, episode 65, which is hilarious. And you guys should definitely go listen to it. Um, I got it from the atlasobscuria.com, genjdana.com. BizarreVictoria.wordpress.com and Wikipedia. Good old Wikipedia. They're always there for us. Yes. Even if we don't give them money. We'll give them money sometime soon. I did it one time. 
<laughs> All right. So I went with a little bit of history. As we know, I love me some good history. So our story begins in 1848 when Almond D. Fisk filed his patent for the Fisk airtight coffin or of cast or raised metal, also known as the Fisk mummy. Fisk wrote in his patent, From a coffin of this description, the air may be exhausted so completely as entirely to prevent the decay of the contained body on principles well understood, or, if preferred, the coffin may be filled with any gas or fluid having the property of preventing putrefaction. Fisk's coffin was very ornate. It looked like a mummy sarcophagus with depictions of angels and other holy symbols on it and things like oak leaves, berries. You could probably have them put a picture of a fucking squirrel on there if you wanted. (laughs) And there was also a viewing window right over the face where people could look in on their dead loved one. But yeah, but it was covered with a metal plate before burial. As you can imagine, this was a coffin for the financially well off. Um, this coffin cost anywhere between seven to forty dollars. It's a which, lot of money back then. <laughs> yeah, at the time, like a well-made wooden coffin only cost you about two dollars. So, uh, Fisk later sold his patent to other companies so it could be mass-produced, and they wound up streamlining the coffin after Fisk's death in 1851. The Fisk coffin continued to be made until either 1856 or 1860. This coffin became very popular in the years between 1861 through 1865. Do you know what happened in those years, Manda? No. Oh. What happened? The Civil War happened. Oh, yeah. Of course it did. Mm Mm-hmm. With the fist coffin being airtight, it allowed people to retrieve their dead relatives from the battlefields and to make the long journey home to bury them in family plots. Ah. So we are going to jump ahead to December 24th, 1977. In a beautiful antebellum home on Del Rio Pike in Franklin, Tennessee, Ah. a couple. What? Do you know it now? Ah. Oh. Heard of it. Did you? Yes, but give me all the details because I don't remember. A couple, Ben and Mary Griffith, had recently moved into the home and had friends over for a Christmas party. Mrs. Griffith was showing someone around the house when she happened to look out the window at an old family. Not their family, but still a family. There were like eight people buried there. Cemetery that was behind the house and noticed that one of them had been disturbed. The grave that had been robbed was that of Confederate officer Lieutenant Colonel William Shy, who had died of a bullet to the head at the Battle of Nashville in 1864. Mrs. Griffith then called the police, but seeing how it was Christmas Eve and it looked to only be a grave robbing, they decided that it wasn't that important to check it out right away. Aww. In fact, they decided to wait until after Christmas to investigate. They waited until December 29th, and when they arrived, they were shocked to discover a headless, decomposing body dressed in a black jacket, white shirt, and white gloves sitting on top of the casket. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah. The theory was that a murder or murderers had decided to use the old plot to hide their victim and was spooked away when they saw Mrs. Griffith and her guest. The authorities were unable to match their headless bow to any of their missing persons, so they called for backup from forensic anthropologist Dr. Bill Bass from the University of Tennessee in Knoxville uh, to come help. And then this is from the ginjaydana.com, and it says, In his role as Tennessee's forensic anthropologist, Dr. Bass did an initial examination of the body on site. It was in an advanced state of decay and partially disarticulated, but some of the remaining flesh was still pink and many of the joints were still intact. He collected the remains, recovering everything but the head, foot, and one hand, which was not unexpected in an outdoor burial where animal scavenging is common. However, when the remains were removed from the grave, the team worked, working the investigation found a large hole in the top of the coffin, approximately one foot by two feet in diameter, made by the grave robbers with a pickaxe or a shovel. Hanging upside down over the pit and using a flashlight, Dr. Bass peered into the hole and found precisely what he expected in an 1864 burial. Nothing. From other Civil War era, era burials in the area, he knew that more than a hundred years in Tennessee's damp conditions would break down a corpse completely, even the bones, leaving nothing but a layer of goo he found inside Ugh. old Shy's coffin. So, because where it was airtight and nothing could get in to help it decompose, apparently your body just turns to goo. Who knew? Yeah, I know. It's gross. That is disgusting. <laughs> I uh, almost read something about um, bodies exploding in caskets, mm. kind of similar, but I was like, those details are kind of disgusting. I'm well, eating chili with- for dinner, so or ate chili for dinner. <laughs> oh, no. So, with the um, Fisk airtight coffin... There was actually reports that some of them would blow up because there wasn't enough space for the gases. Yeah. Um, but then they were like, no, that didn't happen. It's like, but it probably did, though. <laughs> probably. So Dr. Bass then took the body back to his lab where he cleaned and examined the bones. He surmised the man had been a white male between 25 to 30 years old who stood about 5'10" and had been dead for 6 to 12 months. The police were able to find skull fragments in the coffin, and when Dr. Bass glued the fragments back together, he discovered that his victim had died of a gunshot to the head. In the exact same spot, Colonel Shy had... Dr. Bass then re-examined the body and the clothes that he had been found in and discovered that he had in fact misjudged the time of death by 113 years, and he was looking at Colonel Shy himself. Oh. Colonel William Shy of the 20th Tennessee Infantry of the Confederate Military was killed on December 16, 1864, when his unit was overrun during the Battle of Compton Hill in at Nashville. During the battle, he was shot point-blank by a .58 caliber mini-ball to the head. 
Shai's family had his body embalmed and buried in a cast iron metal coffin in the small family cemetery on their property. Bringing it right back around to the coffins. <laughs> yep. Because of this miscalculation, Dr. Bass decided that there wasn't nearly enough research done on what happens to bodies while they decompose, and so he opened the first ever body farm in Knoxville, Mother Flippin, Tennessee. Oh, snap! Okay. In 1971. That's crazy. Today, seven such uh, facilities exist across the United States, states, from the subtropical environment in Florida to northern Michigan. The research facility operated by Texas State University at Freeman Ranch is the largest at 26 acres. Similar facilities are also operated in Australia and Canada. So, and fun story about Dr. Bass is, um, so the school that I go to and the school that Amanda graduated from, um, they do Zoom conferences, which that was, you know, before quarantine made it cool. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, so with these conferences, the way that they do it is at the main campus, which is in Gallatin, if they had a, like, big guest speaker and stuff, they could Zoom conference all the other campuses so people could watch it. And Dr. Bass was giving, giving a presentation about the body farm. And I was on one of the other campuses. And my biology teacher had set up this whole big thing where it, it was about um, lowering our impact on the, on the environment. And if we went to that, we could get extra credit. And then he was like, yeah, and then they're having a thing with the body farm afterwards. And I was like, excuse me. You're like, what? (laughs) Oh, I bet that was really cool to listen to. Or watch. Oh, I got so excited. But, so I sat through the thing for my biology teacher. And then I went to the thing for the body farm. And it's literally me and, like, six criminal justice people. (laughs) (laughs) And so... There, there's like he's giving a presentation and he's showing pictures and they're very graphic pictures and yeah. it was of a sex worker who had been found murdered and um oh what was it so I'm sitting in the back with like someone I knew and all these other people I didn't know were in front of me and he was like yeah so we see that there's a lot of uh, magnet ac- uh, maggot activity around her her neck. He was like, what's weird about this? I'm like, maggots can't chew through flesh. And he was like, maggots can't? And then he repeated it, and he was like, so what's this tell us? And I was like, her throat was slit. (laughs) And he was like, so that means that her throat had to be slit for the maggots to get into there and eat. And then, like, I heard people going, do you know her? (laughs) In your class? No, I don't know her. And I'm like, oh, shit. They're going to think we're going to kill her. They're like, I don't even go to school here. I just snuck it. It's like, I don't, I mean, no, guys, it's fine. I just really like true crime. It's just really interesting, okay? Have we, um, because my memory is just, like, the worst, have, uh, have we done, like, a thing on the body farm? Oh, that's something we need to go over one day. I, yeah, I kind of, like, I think that we should go more into detail in a later episode. Yeah. But what I think we really need to do is, I think we need to do a tour. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. I mean, 
It's in the home state. It's spooky as fuck. And it's educational. It is very educational. <laughs> I wanna do it. I've, so uh, I've considered just donating myself to the body farm in the future. You do you, boo. For research purposes. I mean, I feel like I could. I mean, I have for plenty spice. of tattoos that we could just see what happens with them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that'd be an interesting study. Does the ink stay? No, it doesn't. I mean, it, it does, but um, it'll fade drastically in the sunlight. I listen to way too many true crime podcasts. <laughs> Just a few, like, but that's why you created this podcast. Because you're true. like, I need to share these things in my head with others. Which is a wonderful and beautiful thing that has been created here on Nightmare Town Podcast. <laughs> I need to share things with others who actually want to hear them. Yes, and they're not just like their eyes aren't glazing over. They're just kind of like taking a few steps back and kind of looking at you side-eyed like, mm-hmm. okay. That or they're not criminal justice people that now think I'm a serial killer. Because they're like, she's not in our class. <laughs> she knows too much. Who is she? <laughs> So yeah, those, I mean, those are my two that I had chosen. So, you're drawing from the hat? I do. While I shake this, do you want to do the spiel? Yes, if I can remember all of the spiel. That's okay, I believe in you. If you have your own stories to tell, or your own suggestions for the hat, you can hit us up at nightmaretown18 at gmail.com. Or hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at uh, NightmareTown18. Or on our website at NightmareTown.co. That is .co. And our next one is Two Truths and a Lie. Ooh. Yeah. So that will be our next episode whenever the hell we put it up. We'll see. We'll get there. (laughs) We'll have some D&D coming, and then we'll get there. What was that? Someone's at my door. Uh... Let's say keep the camera going. Oh my god! <laughs> well, what else am I supposed to do? Where'd you go? I've been sitting outside for like 30 minutes and it's like, well, I don't think this is going to end. So I just like, I'm just gonna walk in. Oh! That scared us. Um. Until. <laughs> oh my god, I'm sorry. That, that startled me so much. Until next time. Tell us a story. Bye. Bye.